season. I'm not sure whatsoever that I'm ready for it. This is Gene Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. Um, so I'm ducking the issue a little bit with uh, an interview with a gentleman named Mayar Amuzagar, who is the provost of UNO, but he has a very rich history, and he is an author who is about to publish an incredible book called The Hubris of an Empty Hand. And it's not, you're going to have to pay attention now, because even if you're reading it, you have to kind of pay attention, because it's a very interesting juxtaposition of kind of the origins of mythology along with um, the foibles of, let's say, um, our, our human uh, species. So is that fair? Okay. Um, and, and he's got, you know, one of the things about his background that I just want to mention as we go into it, is that um, he is um, a former uh, member of the staff of um, uh, Rand Corporation, R-A-N-D Corporation, which actually has an institute based here in New Orleans. It's, it has a very low profile because they're very uh, pr- uh, persnickety about their <laughs> media, I have to say. That's because very true, yes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've wanted to do more about what they do than um, we have uh, um, had the access to. But um, I, I, I think we should delve right into the book because here's my theory. After Thanksgiving, what do you do? Sleep or watch football games? That's right. I am not a football fan. I really deeply don't appreciate the brutalism of it and the crushed heads and the broken bodies. I just don't. It's too violent for me, and I don't like violence. Um, so um, I, it's a great time to read. 
It is definitely a great time to read. Right. Drink, eat, and read. Yes, yeah, <laughs> drink, eat, and first take a little nap, and then, then read, you can either yes. go to a film, of course, but um, I would prefer to just kind of snuggle up with a book. So um, we're going to talk about the hubris of an empty hand and your writing in general, because this is not plain vanilla. This mm-hmm. is this is a little bit more, um, I, w- I want to use the word quirky, but with a, um, with a message. So tell me about um, writing the book, Hubris of an Empty Hand. So um, the way I, I do write is I generally spend maybe a year or two with my characters. I just hang out with them. I sleep with them. I sort of think about them all day long. And then I start after about a year when I sort of know the main, the two or three main characters, then I start writing. And I don't think about how the writing will go. I just write as a dose of conversation. I think of it like a, watching a movie in my head and I just write. And but every time I write a book, I think about a single challenge to myself. And for this one was that I want to write short stories that you can read it independently. If you put them all together, you can read it as a novel. Ah, yeah. so I'm not sure whether I've succeeded. I just think that was the plan. I hope uh-huh. I succeeded. And the idea was that you know, what is happening in our society and how are we behaving now that there's a bit of decay of truth in some ways? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And how do we behave if we had ultimate knowledge and we have a full source of empathy? The two things that sort of are lacking perhaps in the previous administration's uh, running of this country. So uh, I started thinking about um, what would happen if we have everything, every knowledge you can think of, godlike knowledge, and, uh, and then the consequences of that. As I mentioned earlier to Eugene, ultimately is a love story. <laughs> it's about relationships, human frailty, how we behave in a society, and how what and how far we go in protecting the ones we love and ourselves. And and and, and, stuff. and, and we may we may lose out, and some of our my, my characters have lost that they, they give up their life in some ways to the person they love. So uh, sacrificing, I guess, as well. How far we go to uh, protect somebody else. Yeah, you hear so many uh, stories um, because I think they're they're so um, moving that the news media and also I think the news media realizes how downbeat most of the news is. So every once in a while they try to give you something um, to have a a feeling of empathy uh, for other human beings. So they'll tell a story about somebody who uh, took a risk. Mm-hmm. to rescue someone in a situation that was really dangerous. And you read those stories all the time right. and you say, exactly. you know, maybe we're not so bad after all. <laughs> yeah, and ultimately it's about actually we're good. Uh, humanity is You think good. so? I think so. That's ultimately. how you view humanity? I do feel. I'm, I'm more optimistic. I don't watch the TV news anymore, so that maybe make me more optimistic because I don't have to yeah, listen to Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm optimistic that... We can come and go through it. This is not the first time we have had these issues in this country. You know, we have the ebbs and flow of this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe in uh, that we love each other and we take care of each other. And uh, yes, there's a bit of a sort of tribalism, hap- tribalism happening here, but we get over it. I think. Well, you say tribalism, tribalism happening here, but to me, it seems evident that it's it's everywhere and has always been. And I even um, have learned over the past um, maybe decade, I would have to say, that I've 
learn to understand the competition of other species as well, even trees and plants. So I have a big garden, Mm -hmm. and um, there's a particular, and you've seen it so you know, there's a particular plant that particularly loves my garden called Chinese fan palms, and they've taken over. Um, and, And then there'll be a situation where I'll, I'll see a competition going on between two plants and, and one does really well and the next one doesn't. So I have a plant, we have a tree here in New Orleans called sweet olive mm-hmm. that has a beautiful fragrance. And I, I really mystifies me why it's never become a, a, a ma- you know, as major a deal as magnolia or, or, um, uh, not camellias. What's the other one that has such a wonderful smell? Anyway, it's, um, on one side of the path, it's just grown, up, you know, up to the ceiling height. The other one is hanging on to a branch or two. And I say, something in the environment of that particular plant is saying, uh, excuse me, this is my plot. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that it is it is a fact of, of evolution and of life, of all forms, not just humans. So I kind of want to, I, I don't want to say cut us slack, mm-hmm. but just recognize that it is some kind of evolutionary phenomena that is at the heart of, of it. No, I'm sure, uh, 100%. Uh, it's just that we're hoping, I'm hoping, we've evolved enough to uh, sort of care more about each other rather than competing with each other all the time. So. Now, uh, in your book, uh, the way you come at this is that you um, uh, ask the, um, the gods. Now, we, we don't have gods as much... I'm sure in some parts of the world that people still honor gods, plural, as opposed right. to one god. But we tend to have one god. But um, in, in your book, you, you you go back to that whole mythology of the gods and their role in affecting what humans uh, do or don't do. So tell me about that. So, I mean, the idea was that I mean, I, I'm using the gods more of a as a vehicle rather than sort of thinking about them as the way we think of the god or the gods that some uh, religions might think about. The, the way I was looking at this, that how do we gain knowledge and how do we gain empathy? And obviously we're gaining it through our own selves, not somebody's handing it off. But I was looking at the world where the gods actually were, there was the ones that roamed around with us and they acted like more like humans, like you would see in a Greek mythology or Roman mythology. Uh, but in, and the idea was that what happened if they sort of decide, okay, enough, I want to give more to humans than we have. And what about they just hands off the whole, if the God of knowledge exists, what about if he or she or Ed plants this knowledge in us and make us beyond, you know, be omniscient, you know, to the extent possible? Can we handle it? Is it something we can do? So the, the God's role is somewhat limited in the book. They, they exist and they come and go. But they come and go more like people. They act like people. Even Death, who is my favorite character in the whole book, you know, he, he, he's like a cool guy who just you want to hang out with more than Death that we think of because he's funny and he has this strange sense of humor and he comes and goes. He loves coffee and, you know, he likes to drink coffee all the time. Uh, so, all, in fact, all the gods, all, all gods love all, the, all of them love coffee. Coffee is their thing. I so, almost like coffee. Yeah, but, uh, who doesn't like <laughs> coffee, right? Uh, so to me, the, their, their, their relationship is really the relationship that the sort of us elevating ourselves toward them, and they bring themselves to 
toward us. So it's a convergence of oh, humanity and God in some ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the way we think of ourselves as the dominant, as you just mentioned earlier, with the dominant species on Earth. So we are sort of godlike. And now with AI, we are creating a next generation of beings, right? We can have androids and others. Uh oh. Okay. Now you're. Although it's entering. not science fiction. Yeah. No, 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 no. You, no, it's not science fiction at all anymore, is it? Right. So, um, it, you're, but you're entering a realm which is challenging for me. Um, I um, have become more resistant than ever to thinking about um, technical challenges that are beyond my immediate grasp. So I don't really want to know about AI. <laughs> And I don't really want to know about NFTs, and I don't really want to know about blockchain, and I'm I'm frightened by it all because I feel like it you it really is kind of going to another side right. of the world and life, and um, I'm not going to be here for its realization. I'm only here for its the hints of it, mm-hmm. the beginnings of it, and. Um, I'm really acting like a chicken. I know I'm being totally chicken about it. But um, when you make that reference to AI, I want to know what you are thinking about when you say that. Well, I mean, you can imagine a world where... Son of a gun, I have to interrupt you for just a minute. They just let that guy written house off. They just announced it. I cannot believe it. Ah. It, and how do we fit that into your paradigm? In your book? <laughs> but as a big donor right now, <laughs> no, that's sad. It just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just, oh my we, need to, we need to digest this decision. Right it's, now. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's part of an era. So that's the difficulty. So we're in a very difficult era, right, yeah. of this, as you started out saying, that we're, we're not dealing with truth right. in, in a factual, um, real way. We're dealing with it as a, Fungible. Yeah. It's fungible. Yeah. Truth, truth, is, truth has always been fungible in some ways, but it's, it's more fungible than ever. And now, um, with, with the onslaught of, of all of this technology, maybe that's really what's partially at the heart of people who are so resistant to science and truth, is they have the, maybe the same kind of fears that I have, is that all of this that they are talking about um, in, in, in technology is, is so far beyond our um, experience and, 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 uh, uh, and any sense that we have of understanding or having control over it. And I, agree. I mean, there's not, nothing new. I mean, we always feared science, I mean, from the you know, Middle Ages. That's true, time, really. yeah. Uh, you know, we, we are fearful of things we don't know. And uh, science is difficult, and science is not absolute. Scientists make mistakes all the time, and it's all about probabilities of things happening, not absolution. And you can see that in the vaccination now, you know, that you know, people want a 100% guarantee that if you get vaccinated, you won't get COVID-19. But there's no guarantee, and people will get it. But it just, it's part of the innumeracy of Yeah, but of course, my, my feeling about that is we've all been, you know, most of us have been vaccinated in our lives, whether it's for you know, smallpox way back or for measles or, um, you know, uh, for flus. This, this, uh, this became a very convenient symbol of resistance right. to of the, the sense, I think, of a lot of people who have of, of being dismissed by a liberal elite. Right. And that's really, right. in, in my thinking, that's a, a big part of it. 
Um, so, so your God of knowledge mm-hmm. that you have as one of the characters in your book, what does that God do? Um, how does he uh, try to move uh, his, the humans that he deals with in terms of helping them understand so the way realities? I, the way I set it up is I went back to about 2,500 years ago uh, when the, the Persians invaded uh, Babolia. Babylon and the Sumerian, and then the God of Knowledge sort of infected a group of people, and then in particular, I was thinking about the, the, the Jewish community that the Persian king uh, sort of um, saved. And you know, in recent history, the Persian king came, saved the Jews, moved them to what is currently Israel, and the, 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 the per- say that again now. The Persians. so if you look at the, so one of the uh, Bible stories is about the saving of the, the Jewish people by the Persian king. Uh, so myth or reality, I don't know, but certainly it's part of the Bible. Uh, so a couple of the two Gentiles were mentioned in the the old uh, Bible are the two Persian kings, and the reason is because they actually went and saved the Jewish people, and oh. and okay. you know, and the Jewish community has contributed a lot to our science and literature and everything else. So in a way, I was thinking, I didn't say that explicitly. That's what my thinking was, that they have contributed so much. So they, they sort of, the way I looked at it is like, they were infected by this extra knowledge. And part of it was that the, the, the Persian king who invaded the country and freed them, the god of knowledge also gave, bestowed them this gift. Uh, I see. So it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's intermingled um, it's a philosophy or an analysis of how we relate to each other that it's also a reflection of, of history. Right. And so he, the God planted this little seed, and the seed grew, and it, it sort of went across the population. But it, like, any, like the plants you were mentioning, not everything grows evenly. So some got more, some got less. And then the idea was the truth decay thing, that eventually in our time, the knowledge has been decaying. Yeah. And and sort of hence the issue. And now the gods are trying to get back what they gave us. So the gods are gonna try to trying to get back what they gave us, but I I'd like to understand now let's let's speak just in, in non uh metaphoric mm-hmm. ways. What on earth is going on here? In your <laughs> view. I told you what my view was. Uh, you know, is this is this sense of um I think that people's self esteem is always at the heart of every if you don't have it, then you look for solutions to it, and that's how kids who don't do well in school wind up on the streets. It's a phenomenon to me. Crime is, is all about um, education mm-hmm. and, and self-esteem. But um, aside from that, what, what, why is it so intense right now, and why is it so – I mean, I don't blame it on Trump. Trump was just – he rode the wave. Right. It's yeah. a wave that he right. rode. He's, it's like, actually, I just pictured him on a, uh, on a um, what do you call um, that you ride the waves on? What's that? Oh, the surfboard. A surfboard. I just pictured him on a sur- surfboard. I'm going to do a cartoon of it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what, what's going on? I, I mean, I, I, wish, I wish I was smart enough to know. Uh, I mean, as an educator, obviously, I agree with you. Education is, to me, is a solution to everything. Uh, the more we educate our, our citizens, the better off we are. Uh, and there's ways of looking at education in a different way. It doesn't have to just be a university education. It can be any kind of training and education. 
I think, I mean, I can I can talk to you about this for hours because I have sort of my pet peeves with us, me, the administrators and the senior administrators in universities that for decades, uh, from Reagan time, there were lots of op-ed pieces by more right-leaning writers against higher education, against education. And there were very few from presidents of universities or the provost of universities rebutting it. So after 30, 40 years of continuous onslaught on higher education, it's not a surprise that not many, want to, not many people want to pay for it or the citizens want to pay tax to educate our uh, you know, citizens. Um, yeah, uh, but there's also right now another trend going on it, uh, that I'm only hearing of recently of kids not wanting to go to college, right. not being sure that it really has the value that uh, when you – you're younger than I am, but when I came up, I mean, there was no doubt about the importance of, of going to college. And, and, and I came from a working-class background, but my parents worked really hard to make sure that I got there. Right. And now I don't feel that um, there's that same level of, of certainty right. about the value of it. Well, what, what is I that think, all about? Well, I think part of it, part of it is universities have become very expensive, uh, even the public ones, uh, because taxpayers don't want to pay for education, so therefore we have to ask the parents to pay for the kids' education. So you do the cost and benefit analysis, and even even at University of New Orleans, we're relatively cheap. They're about $8,000 a year. So you can get a $32,000 degree. And you do a trade-off, perhaps, and saying, well, is that worth it? Well, I think it is. Uh, it definitely is. I think a bachelor's degree in any degree pays a long lifetime, five times more than if you don't have it. Part of it is marketing. As I said, it, to, to our shame, we have done a poor job of articulating why it is important for people to go to school, higher education. doesn't matter what degree you want to get. Um, ultimately, also, as, as a large nation, some students don't need to go or want to go to education, uh, to a, you know, get a bachelor's degree. And trade schools are fantastic. I mean, why not honor and respect we somebody who's... We have good ones a, here in particular. Yeah, we do. Delgado definitely we do. and yeah. Nunes, exactly. examples, yeah. Exactly. So... Some, in a bit of a, I think, of a shame in 70s and 80s, maybe those are not, you know, to be poo-pooed that. And I, I believe in them. If you want to be an electrician or a mechanic or something like that, we don't or need to Or tech or creative. Or tech or creative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are so many other options. But still need to go to school, though. It's not enough just to get a high school uh, degree. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we're going to run out of, town soon, out of time soon, so I, I don't want to um – end the, our interview without touching on something that uh, kind of fascinated me. So you chose death mm-hmm. as a kind of a positive character. Right. And, and I need to understand how on, how on earth we can view death as a positive character. So. Well, the reason is, is that, you know, in some cultures, dying is part of living, right? That you sort of think about death all the time as it's sort of, it's gonna, obviously it's going to happen to all of us. But in, in the Western culture mainly, we sort of avoid that conversation. It's not, death is not part of our daily sort of, it's going to happen, I'm planning for it. And uh, so that's why I want to sort of spin off that and saying, well, he's not a bad guy. He's not killing you. He's just a, a, one of the gods sort of trying to just say, take you from this world to whatever world you believe in or not, whatever. I mean, that's up to you. So th- to me, was that's why I want to be positive rather than negative. That's, that's not doing us harm. It just is there. It's having fun doing it. Uh, and yes, we're sad when somebody dies, uh, but that's part of our life and birth and death. So 
other kind of funny to happen. Uh, just hang around. So since um, some of us don't necessarily think there is another uh, right. no phase of life, <laughs> we accept the notion that um, um, maybe uh, this is it. Right. You know? So for, for those who think that basically this is it, death has a totally different connotation. It's an end. Right. No, I don't, I don't believe in the next world either. Yes, it does. But, you know, you have X years to live. Do the best you can living to there. Make the most of it. Yeah, and then yeah. and then let the next generation come in. It's like it's like having a job like mine. I don't want to be a provost forever. You know, yeah. the next person is to come and take over. Uh, no, it's sad, of course. When my dad died, it was very sad. Uh, but also had a really good life. He lived to be ninety-five years old. He did fantastic things. Would he want to live to be two hundred? I doubt it. I think you know he was ready to go. Yeah, I think that by, that, by the time you reach your nineties, you've um, you, you've uh, exhausted yourself <laughs> trying to uh, right. accomplish your goals. I think I'm probably uh, jazz pretty much out of time, um, and I and I regret it because I would love for this conversation to continue. I, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, what I'm going to do when I've finished the book, when I've actually read it, I'm going to have you back because I know great. that I'm going to want to talk more. About <laughs> that sounds great. Um, yes. And uh, I'm I'm grateful uh, for what you're doing at the uh, University of New Orleans. I have tremendous respect for it. I think it's really been important in our, our city. And I think a lot of people are not completely, uh, again, aware of the value of, of many of the strands of, um, uh, of education that you offer there. I certainly am aware of how strong... For example, your arts and your right. music and your film departments are those are the ones that really matter. Oh, we have a fantastic school of the arts. And uh, you have people from all over uh, America come for the oh, Arts and Men program here. Sure. And so um, I'm very respectful of, it, of that and appreciate it. I've, I've had great interns from your program. Not recently, but I'm... I'm we'll we'll I'm, send you some good ones. I, I, I want them because <laughs> they're... I, I, I live for my interns. I know Don um, so, Mayara Musagor. Oh, we didn't get to one thing I really wanted to touch on, that whole thing about the, um, the celebration uh, that is part of your, um, your book. Yeah, let's do the, our promotional business here. <laughs> you have a, a book um, presentation happening on December the 4th at Octavia Bookstore, mm-hmm. which is uptown New Orleans. That's 6 p.m. And part of the event is not just the signing of a book, but is a celebration of a very old traditional celebration called Yauda. 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 You said it was how many? 2,500 years? It's about 3,000 years old. And, and, what, and what is the basis of it? A, it's the longest night, you know? Uh, and so, yes, it's solstice. Uh, winter solstice. Traditionally, you know, because of the evil things that was happening, people would gather together in the middle of the night and they stay up all night long and try to eat summer food. They preserve the summer food to have it that night. And they eat nuts and other things and they tell stories. It's not changed the bed. We, my family, does it really well. We do a fun night. Oh, I, and, and you want to do a little bit of that? We're going to talk about it the best. I'm going to be there. I, I'm going to get myself out. It's hard to get out of it. All right. I am definitely getting my signals that I, I <laughs> uh, we're out of time, but I really enjoy the conversation, and I urge everybody to go to um, the Octavia Bookstore, December 4th, 6 p.m., right? That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you. To you. See you soon. See you. Okay. Um, I think... Uh, we're going to transition a little bit, and uh, we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Paul Peck, who 
has brought a whole new idea of a music festival to New Orleans. I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from them. Um, this is uh, something I recorded just a couple days ago, and uh, it's called "It's All About Nola" by Nola, which is a music that takes place in the venues in the city, and now it's online, and you can listen to it online. And in the process, do a little fundraising to help keep it going and growing. Thank you so much, and y'all have a great Thanksgiving. Okay, so Torin, that's okay. Hold on one second. Torin, that's fine. Okay, great. Do it that um, way, okay? I will do that. And I just had a brain. Before you get on your Zoom call very shortly, sure. I just yeah. had a, a light bulb, a eureka moment, which is the mysterious B dash 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 S email yeah. that the website is linked to. It right. must be Bar- Baron Le Bourgeois, right? Oh, it could be. Why didn't I think of that? Absolutely. Yep. So, I'll give him a call. Sure. Well, before you call him, let's you and I chat for just a minute about him, too, okay? Because you need the background on that also. All right. All right. So, as soon as I get off my Zoom, I'll do that with you. Okay. So, if you don't hear from me in about a half an hour, um, call me. All, All right. right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. This whole week has been, well, you're having one too, right? I am, yeah, but you know what? It's like at least we're working on, on good stuff. You're absolutely right. Let me change. I'm going to get my glasses that don't have a glare on Good. Okay, Paul. Let's see. Are you the beginning or the end of the show? Let me just remember. You are the second part. And so, and we're at 2.50. And I need to be out by um, 20, at the latest, about 15 after the hour. So we have to stop at 3. This is what I'm really bad at. I always run to when we have to edit, and I just don't want to do that. That's all right. 15, 25, yeah, that's good. Okay. It would be even better if I got out by 3.10. Um, all right, so... I'm going to go three, two, one. Now I'm going to be recording. 
Is that all right? You ready? Yeah, ready. You know what? Um, say that again. Uh, yep, I'm ready. Okay. Your lips are not moving. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so we're having a little bit of a Wi-Fi yeah, issue. Let me, um, let me try to see if I can fix something here. Let me close a couple things. Um, and let me turn off this thing, this VPN. Disconnect. Tell me if that's any better. <laughs> that's what I love it. That's great. Is that better? That's a, uh, uh, keep talking. Testing, testing. Perfect. Perfect. Good, sound good? Can you hear yep. me all right? Yep. Cool. Okay. Three, two, one. Um, I just met Paul Peck by phone recently, but I think that um, we may have some uh, a karmic connection in history because um, to some extent we've been do- doing some similar things. Since I do so many different things, I'm not sure about the full mix, but um, certainly I think we both have a-, a love for New Orleans music. Is that fair, Paul? That is very fair. Okay. And Paul um, accomplished something that, um, with some help, I'm sure, from other people, but uh, that had never been accomplished before, and that is getting direct funding for a cultural project from New Orleans and Company, the, the, the tourism agency. Their philosophy, their policy for a long time has been that they put heads on beds and those heads um, are part of our cultural audience. And that's true. Fair enough. However, um, it's really a value for us to be able to get funding directly to um, our artists, our musicians, our culture bearers, and and um, all of the creatives we have. And probably, I still really truly believe one of the most creative cities in the world. So um, I know you're on the road. You, you do other things right now. I'm not sure where you are because you have that wonderful backdrop. But um, I want you to fill me in a little bit about um, uh, getting this off the ground, first of all, briefly, and then we'll talk about um, uh, you know kind of the next phase, which is what uh, you're now engaged in. Sure. And Gene, I'll just uh, say that the New Orleans backdrop represents the fact that the spirit of New Orleans is with me wherever I go. And, uh, you know, it was really a monumental team effort to pull off the NOLA by NOLA coalition for the first year. There was an urgent need. Um, we had a variety of venues that were willing and ready and, and capable of operating safely. And they had a ton of great programming. Um, on the dates and we, you know, my co-founder Sid Greenbaum and I found a great partner in New Orleans and company. And, uh, we all kind of like worked together in a really tight timeline to co-align with each other, with the venues, with the artists and put out this, what I think is a pretty landmark coalition effort to put forth a unified front that these shows are happening. These shows are happening safely these venues, these artists, this is not a community that's competitive amongst one another. Um, it's an amazing community, and uh, everyone kind of worked together to put forth this message and have two weeks' worth of what I thought were really successful, really special, and really meaningful events. It was it was quite spectacular, and it did come up out of... Um kind of like a storm out of the Gulf, just uh, with less notice, really, than we sometimes get for storms. And uh, came at a time when we really needed it because we'd been through so much. And the city was 
Really, there there have been. Uh, I think I was the first one who wrote about the quote malaise that we were experiencing after Ida, and then I've, I've seen it since, and the people have talked about it since. But um, it's been it's been a tricky time after Katrina. We went through a lot, but we were so sort of saying, "Okay, we're coming back," and this time it was like, "Hey, are we going to have to go through this?" every year. So people were uh, between the pandemic and the song really exhausted. But the idea also of doing an, an event that essentially was brought home to the venues in the city, I thought that was pretty brilliant. I thought that was a great idea. So tell me a little bit more about that idea. I think just the idea that you know New Orleans is you know, it really is like one of the cultural centers of the world. And that culture happens every night on these incredible stages and these incredible venues and rooms. You know, it's like we always talk about how New Orleans has, I think in a lot of people's opinions, the best music and the best live music scene in the world. Um, But really when you think about the clubs, we have an unbelievable diversity and range of world-class music venues. And it's almost like, you know, these places have such a storied history it's almost um, like, you know, stepping into the church, or in my case, the synagogue. Um, but, you know, everything from, like, all the clubs on, on Frenchman Street. It's, it's, it's something that I think we can take for granted a little bit in New Orleans, that there's almost a music festival going on every night and every weekend. Yeah. And it was taking that idea and really building upon that, that concept. You know, it's like you can start your night off wherever you want, and then you can walk out the door, and you're bound to wind up somewhere else. I mean, everything's happening, and the information's out there, where to go and everyone's out doing it, you're going to run into people, you're going to make new friends, you're going to see new music, you're going to reconnect with maybe some music you haven't heard in a year and a half, given the circumstance that we've all been in. And I think it was a really cathartic experience for everyone involved to just know that, like, all this stuff is still here, that the spirit is still alive, and a really special opportunity for everyone to celebrate together on those nights. That's right. You know, I, I think back on my first years here, coming out of New York, where... You know, even back back in the day, for me when I was nightlifing a lot, um, you know, you had to stand online to get into a club. There was some idiot at the door just deciding whether you um, earned entry or not, and you'd get in, and it would be sort of massive and not terribly friendly, and you didn't really want to get hit on, but you get hit on. Here, I when I first got here. First of all, just like going to Tipitina's by yourself as a woman was cool. I could just I could just go and hang out, and if uh, somebody was you know hanging around too much, I could just walk away. I mean, it was the the atmosphere was just so much more humane, and as you said, um, kind of friendly essentially. I mean, we know that New New Orleans also has a dark side. So my my husband always jokes, you know, it was Art Neville who came up with the expression "the Big Easy." I worked with him, and I remember him when he first started saying that, and my husband said, mm, "No, this is a little difficult." You know, and it is. It's a difficult city in many ways because it's it's not the most entrepreneurial place in the whole universe. So here you guys come, and you are being extremely entrepreneurial about this, as you said, and getting it off the ground and making it happen. So tell me about the spirit of Paul and and, and Sig that that um, you know was the fuel for making this come off. I think you know Sig is a great partner, and working with you know, the different stakeholders and everyone from, you know, Mike Martinovich and Preservation Hall and Stephen Perry and Mark Romig and New Orleans and come is a really strong group. But I think, you know, Sig and I, it started, we were kind of unified in 
really just when you were talking about how special, how distinct just that feeling of New Orleans is. I think the people that know it are these people that are a little bit fortunate and it's probably a little bit ahead of the curve in the kinds of things that they know about and are into. And, you know, there's even a learning curve in New Orleans if you're not from in town where to go to to have that real, true, meaningful, authentic experience. But once you have it, it's really welcoming. It's really warm. It's really friendly. You know, I've, ex- I've had this experience when leaving New Orleans and going to New York or Los Angeles, and it's almost like culture shock because it is a little bit that mentality that you talked about, but there's something so special and so authentic and so meaningful and so gritty. And of course, every city, um, you know, has sort of like the dangerous element and, you know, every, every city, but, um, in New Orleans, I think we were really inspired by the unique character and the unique flavor of the city and an opportunity to create a platform, not only for the you know people that live in the community 365 to come together and celebrate that spirit, because everyone's been siloed off for, in large part, you know, at, at home for a long time, and just to come back in a safe environment. And I think what we're hopeful to do with the project and with this platform that we're creating is really like give people that... Um, might have a little bit of developed a taste for New Orleans or maybe people that haven't connected with the, the community yet, a real opportunity to understand what's so special, what's so inspiring. You know, it's like when you connect something that you didn't connect with something that you didn't know you had a taste for, like a new flavor or a new type of music or a new artist, it's almost in a way like you've learned something about yourself. And that's a really healthy, connective experience. And, you know, we talk about the fabric of this project. It's about the connect connectivity between the venues and the artists. And we're not competitive. We work together. Um, and it's this really special community. And that's what's inspired the project and inspired NOLA by NOLA and inspired the platform. It's, you know, really this idea of, like, let's welcome people in in that true New Orleans spirit. Let's give them a taste of these new flavors. And I think flavor is a great way to characterize it because the flavors in the New Orleans food is unlike anywhere else. And I think when you're in Tipitina's, when you're, you know, when you're at the Maple Leaf, when you're at the Howlin' Wolf, when you're at the Republic, when at the Sanger or the Orpheum, there's a different flavor in that city and in the air. And by the way, I can name 40 other incredible venues and 40 incredible artists to go with it. So it's just such a special environment, such a diverse range of music and venues. It's, everyone deserves the opportunity to connect with that. And since not everyone knows about it, I think our mission statement is to let people understand a little bit more about this incredible, you know, cultural crown jewel that we have here, right here in America, you know, and give people an opportunity to come. And when they do come, it's like, you don't have to burn your first trip on sort of like getting caught up in, in, you know, some of the places that aren't as authentic and and aren't as meaningful. We're going to tell you where the good stuff is. And we're going to put it all together on a silver platter and just let you have your, your adventure and your experience in New Orleans. And I think that's such a special opportunity for people to have. You're from here, right? I'm not from New Orleans originally. It is my spiritual home. I lived there for a long time, and I stay very connected to the city. And, uh, you know, my first gig in the music industry was uh, interning at Tipitina's and answering telephones and, uh, you know, getting coffee. And from there, I, I, was, I was actually managing a couple of bands at the time. And I put on my first show, which was at Tipitina's when I was, when I was just a college kid in New Orleans. And it was an uh, all-star tribute to Stevie Wonder. And it was sort of born out of this idea of, like, I just want to see some of these incredible musicians play some of my favorite all-time music in the best venue in the world, which I actually still believe that is true to this day, Tipitina. So um, I begged the guy that was running the club, Adam Shirley, to give me the date, and eventually he relented. He was like, this kid might be crazy enough to do this. And uh, we did the show, and it was really successful, and I treated the musicians well. 
Um, and I found out that I was pretty good at producing these shows and working closely with these artists. And I did kind of a couple others in that series, but that was the first show I ever did was at Tipitino's as part of that internship. And it's kind of that the spirit that was sparked in that show is something that I, you know, I'm kind of known for working closely with artists and doing these like big, crazy cross genre collaborations in different cities and in different, um, locations, but it's all kind of like was established in that very first show that I did when I was, I think, 19 years old at Tipitino's. Hmm. So, um, tell me, uh, give me a little bit more detail on the whole online thing that you're doing now. Yeah. And that, uh, let's see, uh, I, let's, let's just dream a little bit about uh, the future after that. So, go ahead, give me the online story. I love nothing more than a little bit of some good dreaming, so we can do that together for sure. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, really, like, one of the things about NOLA by NOLA is we wanted to create a platform to sort of spread the gospel, about New Orleans and let other people connect with the flavor. And this is a little challenging right now with the pandemic and stuff. And hopefully we're moving into a safer place, but we have created, hopefully we've created this really special two night NOLA by NOLA virtual festival is really what it is. And it's going to be this Friday at 8 PM central and this Saturday at 8 PM central. And it streams for free at NOLA by NOLA.com. NOLAXNOLA.com um, and we have some of the best artists in the world um, who just so happens to be New Orleans artists that are all part of this incredible two-night show um, I mean everyone from like Irma Thomas and Preservation Hall and Dumpster Funk and Rebirth and Galactic and as part of it we have this whole so many more people too Teddy Bears, Big Frida, The Revivalists Big Sam, you know Kermit Ruffins, Anders the lineup is incredible and the music is going to be outstanding. And there's a lot of collaborative um, songs on it. We have this running theme throughout the show, which is an all-star tribute to Dr. John. Um, and then we also have some really mind blowing uh, footage of Mac himself taken very, you know, very late in his life. Um, that just shows him in stunning form between his playing and his singing and his persona and his energy it, and, and it's just really intimate, and you can kind of hear every word that comes out of his mouth, and he's just doing it with so much control and poise and strength. It's just really, really special. So, yeah, as part of it, we have this whole sort of, like, multi-artist tribute to Dr. John and some original footage of Dr. John, and I don't know who else. And, the, and we have everyone on the show. It's like George Porter's in it, um, Tavel Crawford's in it, um, you know, Tank and the Bangos, Charlie Gabriel, Preservation Hall. Ivan Neville, you know, Cleary's in it a few times. Um, it's the, the music is going to be unbelievable, and it's this virtual two-night party. And we're doing it as a way to allow people around the world to connect with the New Orleans spirit and say, like, here's what you can expect if you come to New Orleans, you know, and if you plan your trip out, you know, you can, uh, on any given night, you're going to run into some of these legends, and they're going to be playing five feet in front of you at some of the coolest bars in the world. And so, yeah, the show's going to stream for free, nolaxnola.com and we're also running these really special fundraisers as well where people when they donate they're automatically entered to win these like unbelievable new orleans experiences for example you can win an opportunity to ride with big frida on a mardi gras parade on, on the float with big frida and then go with her with you know go to the big frida show that night is part of Big Frida's like whole entourage and crew. That's one prize. We have another prize that's like a golden ticket um, to every club on Frenchman Street for all of the night shows of Jazz Fest 22. It's not every club. It's actually DBA, uh, Maison, Blue Nile, Upstairs, Downstairs, and Dragon's Den. So for four people for every show, and there's so that, that's like 
250 tickets probably. So you could literally just like go down to Frenchman Street and just bounce around. Um, and that's the special thing. So people that will donate to that, you know, donate to that campaign can win that prize. We also have a Tipitina's Golden Ticket, which is VIP access to every Tipitina show. We have the same thing that's like Fillmore's House of Blue combined. So you'll have access to all the shows at both of those clubs. Um, we're doing the whole wow. thing with Winter Circle. Wow, wow, wow. That's all I can crazy. say. But let's really make sure crazy. that people understand exactly how it works now. Process. Yeah. Okay, so here's the process. You will go to nolaxnola.com. And when you go there, you'll be able to RSVP to watch the show this weekend. And then you'll also see a variety of different campaigns that we're running. So one of them will be donate to the Trombone Shorty Foundation for an opportunity to win, you know, this Mardi Gras parade ride with Big Frida on the Big Frida float as part of Crew Ferret um, for two people. Another one is win golden tickets to Tipitinas for all of their shows. So basically, you just uh, you do the donate online thing is how it works. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's different campaigns, and for different organizations that you donate to, you can win these prizes. You know, the Frenchman Street Golden Ticket Prize, which is access for four to every venue on Frenchman Street throughout all of Jazz Fest 2022, it's a donation to the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Um, you know, the one that House of Blues and Fillmore are doing together, you donate to Roots of Music. So each one is to a different amazing community organization. Um, we also have one with the Maple Leaf, which is like one of my favorite places to see music in the entire world. And when I lived uptown, I used to go to the Maple Leaf, you know, certainly every Tuesday, but probably every like Friday, Saturday, and you know, Wednesday too. Um, and that one is this idea of like, we worked with Hank Staples, the owner of the Maple Leaf on this one. It's called Maple Leaf Honorary Regular. And, you know, he treats his, his people like family. And so you get um, access for four people to every show and I think a dinner for four to Giacomo's. And it's all part of this campaign to raise money for the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. So everyone can go to the website. It's all laid out there really easily. And then we're doing this two-night show and the show is free to view. And while you're watching the show, you can give a little bit of money and hopefully you win an amazing prize. And uh, hopefully I'll run to some of the people that win when I'm down there. Great. So uh, one of my questions was, is this a one-off? With NOLA by NOLA, we really want to establish a platform that we can use to celebrate, promote, highlight, feature this amazing community, this amazing city. You know, it's like there is, like, like we talked about earlier, it's, there's a festival in New Orleans every, every weekend. And, you know, we don't need to go out to some field or some campground to have a festival. We can have it right here in one of the best cities in the world. And in my opinion, the best city in the world to come and have that experience. So it's really all about promoting the city, preserving this culture, you know, featuring these artists, featuring these world-class music venues and giving people an opportunity to connect with something new and connect with one another. And that's a really, you know, it's a really healthy experience. And we're doing this thing, you know, virtually this year, just because this whole project, you know, we started NOLA by NOLA was actually a physical event, of course, a two-week physical event, but it was announced late. And we wanted to give people an opportunity around the world to take part in a little bit of the magic that happened on those days. And, uh, you know, come check out the website and be a part of NOLA by NOLA this year. And then next year we're going to do a bigger, crazier version of NOLA by NOLA. And it's going to be another opportunity for us to celebrate in these amazing clubs and go from club to club and have that experience where you just go, you know, you walk out your door and you go have a new Orleans adventure in the actual places that the magic's been happening for decades. I can't, I can't help asking um, two things uh, because I'm always, I'm just too curious a person. So I love everything that you're talking about. Hung out with all those bands all my life here. 
Um, but I, I want to know just a little bit more about Paul Peck. So um, how do you see your uh, role long term? Um, you know, where is this going? What, what, uh, how, how do you feel about growing what you're doing? And, um, and, and kind of, you know, well, you tell me how you got started. You got started as, as a uh, college student in Tipitinas. That's not a bad start. <laughs> That's really not a bad I'm sure that was preceded by, as you said, plenty of visits there uh, over time. But um, where, where are you going? And, and tell me about how you feel about the New Orleans music scene as we emerge from the pandemic and how it goes forward. Because one thing for me, as somebody who really did spend a lot of time out in the street, so to speak, um, I'm looking for what's, I'm always looking for what's new. And I, I and I, you, you reeled off all my favorite stars, of course, but, but um, you know, what's new? What, what happens going forward? How do you see the scene here developing? I think, you know, there's always... Yeah, sure. Well, so I, I think a couple things. First of all, I am, you know, centrally beyond passionate about New Orleans. And I've always been, I'm an event producer and I'm a media producer. So you can see those sort of two talents on display with NOLA by NOLA and it's a total uh, unbelievable team effort. And I was just one, you know, small, small part of, of that. But I'm also a media producer and I like to create opportunities for people to connect with new types of flavors and new types of experiences and new types of people. I feel like New Orleans embodies this idea of like diversity. When we think of America as a cultural melting pot, I think of New Orleans as the real representation of what that statement means. And I want to be a champion of the New Orleans culture and the New Orleans music and the New Orleans scene that just meant so much to me. And, you know, I was part of the group that launched and developed Bonnaroo. I'm the founder of a festival in Florida called Okeechobee. And, you know, people go out to these venues in the middle of nowhere to have these cathartic music experiences and meet new people and have these adventures. I want to, like, you know, tell some people that, like, you can stay in an amazing hotel and have an amazing dinner and have just as impactful an experience in New Orleans. And I want to create that experience in New Orleans with my partners on NOLA by NOLA and work in partnership with these amazing venues and with, these ama- and with the amazing city. And I have a long history of producing media, and we're going to do this unbelievable live stream event, this virtual event this weekend with an important philanthropic fundraising component. But, you know, I am a big believer in New Orleans is has this storied history of, you know, really like impacting the sounds of, you know, music and jazz and pop and rock worldwide. But people kind of look to the past a little bit. Right now, New Orleans scene is just as vibrant as ever. We have so much talent and I can see the next, next generation coming around the corner. And the scene is just, you know, there's always been this amazing um, tradition of each generation passing down, you know, knowledge and leadership to the next generation who can take that energy and can take that style and put their new spin on it. So like right now, it's like we can look back on the past history, but we should also celebrate the modern history that's in the making that we can see at the Maple Leaf and we can see it at, you know, DBA and we can see it at Gaza, Gaza, you know, and all these amazing places it's happening now. And there's like, you know, tomorrow's artist that's playing at these small clubs. It's going to be tomorrow's like main stage jazz fest headliner. And, you know, it's like I come to New Orleans, you know, multiple times a year and certainly every year for, for Jazz Fest, which, you know, when we started Bonnaroo and when I started Okeechobee, Jazz Fest is my favorite festival in the world. Um, and it's really been the inspiration for, for those events. 
Um, and every time I go to New Orleans, I, you know, feel this like uh, recharge. You know, it's a spiritual recharge. And I think that there's a lot of people in the world that can use the authenticity, the history. You know, it's, it gives you a feeling of being connected, being connected to the past and being connected to something that's happening right now that you can look back on in five, ten years and be like, I was a part of that history. I think the history is happening right now, and I want to be a part of laying the foundation and building each chapter and making sure that people can come and celebrate and be a part of it. Because I think it's really special what's, what happens down there every weekend. And we just want to contribute to it, and we want to champion these incredible, you know, these incredible members of the community. Well, I love your focus on the existing venues and um, and and really pulling in uh, all the great artists that you've pulled in. And I, I really look forward to tracking what you're up to and um, actually look forward to talking to you more about some of the things that uh, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans is doing as well going forward. But um, I wish you tremendous luck with this particular um, uh online uh, experience give me the dates and times again please okay so nola by nola virtual event it's we're calling it nola by nola 21 show your love it's this weekend friday night at 8 p.m central and saturday night at 8 p.m central on nola by nola.com which is nola x nola.com and it's a totally different show different event each night we have a Dr. John tribute. We have the revivalists. We have Dr. John. We have Irma Thomas. We have Preservation Hall, George Porter, revivalists, Big Frida. There's a little bit of something for everybody. It's going to be a two-hour party each night. And as you're watching the show, you can donate to win these unbelievable New Orleans experiences. And people are really going to win these prizes. And there's like 20 of them available on the website. And each one is more kind of ridiculous than the next. And it just shows the generosity of some of the you know, some of the partners in the city. Um, but yeah, it's nolaxnola.com, Friday and Saturday, 8 p.m. Central, each night. And people can yes. donate and people can win these crazy prizes. But in any event, we're all going to have this virtual party. And next year, hopefully, we can all be together in person and uh, experience it that way. So, yeah. Well, Paul, I, 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 uh, someday I'm going to hire you to promote what I do because you do a hell of a job. Thank you so much. I really do. You're giving me the time, and I know we got started just a few minutes late, but uh, I, I, I got exactly what uh, I think my audience is going to appreciate. And I hope they come out. You all have to experience this. It's a, it's a treat and a treasure and a gift for us. So, Paul Peck, thank you so, so much. Uh, Emily, you, Sig, and, and uh, Steve, and the uh, Mark, and the and your own company. Um, good luck to you all on this. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good deal. Thank you very thank much. You. All care. right. Have Bye. a great weekend. And by the way, Thanksgiving, too, I guess, you know. Me too. I hope you have something to thank for. Nice. All right. I'm going to um, end our meeting. Thanks, Jean. Let me know what you think of the show. All right. Know. And listen, All I right. just want to um, uh, close out. Uh, I, I don't know.